Though Satan should buffet, though trials shall come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. But why? Why should God allow Satan to buffet us? Why should trials come? Why pain? Why does a good God allow suffering? Why is it that there is so much hurt in this world? Why are young girls sold into sex slavery? Why are young boys physically and sexually abused? Why are so many babies going to bed tonight hungry with mothers who can do nothing while their children scream in starvation? Why child brides? Why female genital mutilation? Why is motherhood for so many marked with tears for their babies, impotence in the face of profound human misery? Why do little girls drown in rivers? Why do young women collapse on the side of roads? Why diabetes and cancer, multiple sclerosis and COVID-19? Why? Less than 20 years after the tumultuous events in Palestine, Nero took the emperor's throne in Rome. Roman politics and religion were inextricably intertwined. The Roman emperor was a demigod who needed to be served. Submission to him was an absolute requirement. And Rome was brutal on those who did not submit. And when the city of Rome experienced an incredibly harsh and devastating fire in AD 64... Nero needed a scapegoat. Christians would do. To divert attention from the rumors that he was responsible for the fire, Nero blamed Christians, ordering that Christians in that city of Rome be rounded up and killed. Intense persecution broke out against this fledgling faith. Some Christians were torn apart by wild animals. Others were burnt alive as human torches. There seemed to be no end to Nero's wrath against this Christian faith. Let me read that again slowly. Some Christians were torn apart by wild animals. Other Christians were burnt alive. Take a moment to consider this. Compared to your present deprivation, the fact that you are socially isolated, that you cannot come to church for a Sunday gathering, the restrictions on your movements and your freedoms because of a global pandemic, everything that you are going through, how does being torn apart by wild animals or burnt alive compare? Yeah, I know. What we're going through is tough. Social distancing but take a new grip with tired hands. You're not the first believers to suffer. Also, take a moment to consider this. Right now, there are Christians who are suing the government, taking their secular government to court, rebelliously proclaiming their right to gather together, their right to be independent of the state, defying the authorities, and yet it was this empire, it was this terrible Roman government who tore Christians apart with wild animals and burned them alive as human torches. This is the government of whom Paul wrote, obey your government, for God is the one who put it into place. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. And I wonder sometimes if these modern Christians truly understand the damage they're doing to their witness and to God's kingdom 
with their lawlessness. It's not the government they're defying. It's scripture. And they need to learn how to stand on shaky legs. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. John 16, verse 33. In this world you will have trouble. Is that not a beautiful promise for us on this Mother's Day? In this world. In this world I will have a brand new kitchen and a $24,000 refrigerator. No, mom. In this world you will have trouble. In this world, I'll have friends who stand by me loyally and who never say things about me on Facebook or behind my back. No, mom. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, I'll have children who always obey me, who never second-guess me. I will have children who grow up loving Jesus and who will be a delight to me in my old... No, mom. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, I'll have ease and comfort. I will have blessings and health and prosperity. No, Mom, in this world, you will have trouble, pain. You see, we've been looking at this Jesus through the lenses of Hebrews, the, the person who wrote the book of Hebrews, and, and we're seeing that Jesus is better. He's, he's a better messenger than the angels. He's, he's a better leader than Moses. He's a better high priest than Aaron or Levi. He's a, a better sacrifice than a lamb or a sheep. He, he, pick anything on earth, anything in the heavens, pick anything in the entire universe, and we will say to you with absolute confidence, and we will show you that Jesus is better. He's better. But a better pain? A better pain? Following Jesus brings a better pain? Maybe we need to take a closer look. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith... Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Verse 3, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. One of the things that helps us face our own uphill battles in life is the example of other people, right? I, I was thinking this week about how a prominent leader in Canada uh, this, uh, during Easter decided that he was going to defy the very orders that he had put in place for himself and, and go visit uh, his family over Easter. And I was just kind of saddened by that thought that here we have a leader, someone who is supposed to be a public servant, and instead he chose to be an exception to the rules. He didn't choose to be an example of the rules. He chose to be the exception. As Christians, we have examples of our faith. We have these men and women who have faithfully followed God through both blessing and through tribulation, through delight and through pain. And, and we just blew through an entire chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And we, we had the, all these examples of men and women of faith who followed a better Jesus through hell and high water. Hebrews 11, so many great examples 
And the writer tells us that all these examples can help us run our race more effectively. And part of that is getting rid of sin in our lives. And part of that is stripping off anything that hinders us or slows ourselves down. I mean, those three ideas are pretty much a sermon all by themselves, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus, get rid of your sin, and strip off anything that slows you down. Of course, we have to confess and turn away from our sin. But the writer also points out that there are things in this life that are not necessarily sinful, things that may be very good, but simply are not the best, things that we might need to release in our pursuit of Jesus. Now, I remember my son Matthew as a young teenager, having this agonizing decision to make in his life. He reached this point where he realized that he had to give up hockey in order to pursue track and field. His goal was to get to the provincials in track and field and sprinting. And hockey, well, he was fearless in the corners, and so hockey was causing injuries that were interfering with track and field. That was a tough decision for him to make, to give up something that he loved for something that was better. In the same way, sometimes you and I have to pass on things that are really very attractive because we've got something better, more attractive. The simple reason is that Jesus is better and it's painful for us to give up on things that aren't even sinful. But it's a better pain. And verse three tells us why it is a better pain. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the pain that Christ went through for us. Because of what Jesus did for us. He is the champion who initiated and who perfects our faith. He was there at the beginning of your journey. He'll be there every step of the way of your journey. He'll be there. Not only that, but he went through a crucifixion for you. He went through the pain of the cross. He went through suffering in this life, and yet he persevered. He bore the weight of sin that was not his, yet he pushed through. He died in agony on a cross, and yet he triumphantly declared, it is finished before he gave up his life. He took your shame. He took your guilt. He took your sin. Jesus went through the most unimaginable pain for your gain. And now, motivated by his love for you and by what he's already done for you, you can find new resolve to keep running the race, your race. You take a a new grip with your tired hands. You stand strong on those wobbly legs. You persevere. But wait a minute, you say to yourself, if Jesus has already done it all, if, if the message, uh, uh, the heart of the gospel is that, is that Jesus did everything and, and that we do nothing, I do nothing, then, then why am I even still here, like for crying out loud, why can't I just immediately leap up into heaven and join that great cloud of witnesses? Darren and I were laughing this morning going, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, yet the church is empty. Like, why are we still here? Why can't we go to paradise? Or at the very least, why can't God make this life just a little bit easier? Why can't it be just a little bit more victorious, just a little less strenuous for us? Why does God have to allow us to go through hardship? Why pain? The answer that the writer gives you, that the writer that God gives you, it may surprise you. You see, the Hebrews were asking some of those same questions. And the writer says this, God allows you to suffer 
because he loves you. Because he loves you. Look at verse four and following. After all, you haven't yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten those encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He says, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember God is treating you as his very own children. Who ever heard of a child never disciplined by their father? The scriptures pull us back to things that we already know, to illustrations that's so very familiar to us. And yes, yes, some fathers are brutal and cruel. And maybe you know someone whose childhood was destroyed by a father who hurt them instead of loving them. But maybe you know a parent or two who truly loves their children. Maybe you're even fortunate enough to have a mother like that, a mother who loved you unconditionally, who loved you through thick and thin, who loved you in spite of the pain that you gave her. Today is Mother's Day, and so if you'll allow me to, I'm going to pull this illustration, parents in general, specifically to mothers. Do you remember when you were a little kid and and maybe there was a rule that your parents had that you just didn't understand? It just, it made no sense to you. And it, it just seemed to you as a little kid that your parents were being cruel by enforcing this absolutely stupid rule, right? Like, like maybe it was something simple like, don't take candy from a stranger. Like candy's candy, man. I like candy. I'm taking candy, whoever's offering it. Mom and dad, you just don't understand. It was likely only as you got older that you started to realize the wisdom behind the rule. Don't take candy from a stranger, not because the candy isn't sweet, but because the danger is greater. God disciplines us as sons and daughters. God is a loving parent, and so he disciplines us for our good. Look at verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child not disciplined by their father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, It means that you're illegitimate and you're not really his child at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the very best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. See, the Hebrew Christians knew from Scripture, from God's word, that God's discipline is not done in anger. They also know that from their own experiences. I mean, when a mom sees her child dart out of the store and off into the busy street, she immediately yells out loud and grabs the child, sometimes even hurting the child, grabbing the child, pulling it away from the cars, and then disciplining the child. 
That discipline is done out of love, not out of anger. It is to protect the child, to to show them, to teach them the dangers of running out into the street. If a mother didn't do anything when her children were running into the streets, you'd be thinking some pretty harsh thoughts about that mom as her little kid bounces off the hood of your car. Great, now I have a new dent in my car. What a terrible mom. We've all been disciplined before, and we've all thought, man, our parents were so cruel for grounding us. We've all thought, oh, that teacher was so mean for giving me detention. We've all thought, oh, those police didn't know what they were doing writing us that speeding ticket. We've chafed at the rules. But in hindsight, our parents were trying to keep us out of trouble. In hindsight, our teachers were trying to teach us whether we liked it or not. In hindsight, that police officer is simply trying to keep the streets safer. In hindsight, the discipline that comes our way is for our benefit. And so it's a lesser to greater kind of an argument. If sinful parents and sinful leaders and sinful teachers discipline us for our own good, and most of the time they get it right, how much more won't the father of lights, the father of righteousness, the father of love, the one who gives us eternal life through his son Jesus, how much more will he do what is best for us even when we don't understand it? Our parents can make mistakes. Our teachers weren't perfect, except Chad. Chad is a perfect teacher. We've all gotten a ticket that we thought we didn't deserve. Our leaders make mistakes, but God doesn't. He always knows what's best for us. And he never makes a mistake. And his love for you is perfect. Look at verse 10. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who have been trained in this way. These are the results that God is perfecting in us through our difficult times. God keeps us relying on him. When he undercuts our other supports in life, it's so that we learn to rely on him alone. When he strengthens our faith through difficult times, it's so that we see that faith in him is all that matters. When he allows this life to be painful, it's to teach us that we weren't created for this life. When we face the punishments because of our sin, it's to teach us the blessings of a obedience. God does not primarily punish us for our sin. He disciplines us for our righteousness. God doesn't primarily punish you for your sin. He disciplines you for your righteousness. And there's one more reason too why Jesus brings a better pain into our lives. Look at verse 12. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. You see, those difficult things that you're going through right now, they're not just for you. Others are watching you. 
You take a fresh grip with tired hands because others are watching you. You strengthen your weak knees because others are watching you. You mark out a straight path for your feet because others are watching you. And yeah, that actually does mean that the world has the right to judge you. They do. They have the right to look at us Christians and say, why aren't you living more consistently according to what you believe? If you aren't pointing other people to Jesus by your actions, then what are you pointing them to? Your witness is more important than your comfort. And you are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. What kind of Jesus are you showing them? They have a right to evaluate that. But let's also try and frame it a little more positively as well. You see, when you've been through something, when you've been through something awful or terrible, when you've been through trials or tribulation, you know what it's like. You've learned something in the process. If you've been through cancer, then you know what someone who has just received that bad news and is still processing it all, you know what they're going through and you can minister to them more effectively. You're better equipped to help them. If you've lost a child, as awful as that tragedy is, no parent should outlive their child. As awful as it is, one of the ways that you redeem that terrible tragedy is by being there when other people have lost their children. I know so many of you this week are revisiting your own pain in losing your child as you come alongside the ballsers and you pray for them. You know what they're going through because you've gone through it. If you have a prodigal child on the run from God, you know the pain that parents go through when their child is running away from God. You know how to pray for them. One of the hardest things in my life was that moment a number of years ago when a church that I administered to turned on me, a family that I loved turned on me and said some really awful, terrible, untrue things about me. But in the years since then, I have literally had former pastor after former pastor come across my way and because of what I went through, and I, I, for whatever reason, God is bringing these men to me who've been wounded by their churches and I've been able to pray with them and cry with them and share with them and encourage them, wounded by God's people. Redeeming the pain. Story is told of a young woman who went to her mother to complain about the hardships that she was going through because she was a Christian. And her mother took her by the hand and, and quietly led her into the kitchen where she had a pot of boiling water on the stove. The mother went over to the refrigerator and took a crisp carrot out of the refrigerator and she put it in the boiling water. And then she took an egg out of the refrigerator and she put that in the water as well. And then after a few minutes, she took the carrot out of the water. She said, my daughter, some people react to hardship in life like this carrot. They look strong and hard until they're put in hot water. And then the trials of life overcome them and they become weak and soft. And then she took the egg out of the water. 
She said, other people are like this egg. They go into the boiling water ready to crack and run all over the place. But the boiling water makes them stronger and they come out of their difficulties hardened and strong. Oh, I see, the daughter replies. I am supposed to be like the egg, letting the difficulties of life make me stronger, not like the carrot. No, my daughter, the mom replied. Watch. And the mom took the boiling water and she poured it over coffee grounds in a French press. And after a moment, she pours out two steaming hot cups of coffee, one for herself and one for her daughter. And quietly, they sit there holding the warm mug, smelling the aroma of fresh coffee, taking a sip or two and enjoying the incredible, delightful, palate-teasing taste of coffee. Christians should be like coffee, the mother says. When they go into the boiling water... They changed the water. My friends, change the water. You're in boiling water right now. You're in pain. Change the water. Be the voice of Jesus in these difficult times. Be the light of Jesus in these dark times. Be the healing of Jesus in these wounded times. That's what you're here for. And that's why God has allowed you to go through what you're going through. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that others who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong because of you because of your trials, because of your perseverance, because of your triumph, because of your pain. The pain that we endure as Christians is a better pain because it reminds us of Christ's sacrifice, his pain for us. The pain that we endure as Christians is a better pain because it purifies us and it draws us closer to God our Father who disciplines the children he loves. And the pain that we endure as Christians is a better pain because it equips us to change the water for others to be an encouragement and to come alongside others and help them to stand our pain and discipline for others. And we could end the sermon right there. Uh, that's, the, that's what Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 13 is basically saying. But I don't want to end the sermon quite yet. I want to give you a few practical ways to go through this. We are all collectively going through worldwide pain right now. And, and each one of you in your own life is going through your own personal and sometimes private pain. And I want to just share with you a few things that I've learned along the way and continuing to learn practical ways to turn your boiling water into coffee. Number one is this. Learn to enjoy God's grace. See, the enemy likes to whisper at us that our difficulties prove that God doesn't love us. The opposite is actually true. So identify that lie and just bask in the grace of God. I was having an awful week, Wednesday and Thursday. Don't even want to talk about it. And I just went to the church here and I went into the music room in the back and I, I'm not a piano player, but I just started plunking out the melody of that old hymn, Grace That Is Greater Than All My Sin. And I just took time to remind myself 
that God's grace is greater. Learn to bask in the grace, the marvelous grace of our loving God. Number two, be authentic. I mean, if you try to pretend that you're something that you're not, you're not going to last. So be real about those struggles that you're going through. And that means sometimes being willing to ask for help. On Thursday, Pastor Darren came into my office and I sat with Pastor Darren and I just poured out my burdens, my struggles. He shared my burdens and in sharing them, he lessened them. So be real about yourself. Be authentic. Be genuine. Number three, remember, it's not about you. It's not about you. Be humble. See, when you forget that it's not about you, all of a sudden it's about you and everything becomes a personal attack. If you're only following Jesus for the blessings that he brings or for the approval of other peoples, then you're either going to get bitter or prideful and you will not last. Paul is crystal clear about why he's in ministry. He says, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are servants for your sake. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. The apostle Paul, the, one of the greatest men that ever lived for an audience of one. That's all you need to do. Just live for the audience of one. It's not about you. Number four, learn to accept your human limitations. Let's face it, you don't walk on water. You're not even supposed to walk on water. You're not Superman. You're not Supermom. You can't fix all the problems in the world. So just focus on the one problem that God is bringing to your lap right now, today. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, We have heavenly treasures, yes, but we store them in these earthly jars, these jars of clay. And it's okay to realize you're a crackpot. You're a crackpot. We are all just a little flawed. We're all just a little bit cracked, and that's okay because God uses our frailty. So learn to accept your limitations. Number five, do everything out of love. You see, Jesus really doesn't care how good you are at teaching Sunday school. Jesus doesn't really care how well you can sing or play an instrument. Jesus doesn't really care how much you give away. Jesus cares primarily about how much you love people. And if you don't learn to love people, warts and all, you'll never change the water. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's the heart of our witness. It's loving other people. So keep focusing on that because <laughs> it's not always easy to love other people. Learn to love. Number six, make time for renewal in your life. Like Seriously, figure out the things that nurture your soul, that bring you deeper to Jesus, and fit them in. In fact, don't fit them in. Plan your life around them. 
I remember one time as a young pastor, there was a church leader saying to us pastors, your ministry is your soul. It's who you are in Christ. And so you must continuously nurture who you are becoming in Jesus because that's all that counts. And so you need to make time to do that, to develop that every day. Every day, take some time to do something that relieves your stress or, or that helps you to laugh, that helps you to enjoy Jesus every day. Once a week, take a break. Take a Sabbath. Doesn't need to be on a Sunday. Just take a day to remember who you are in Jesus. And once a year, renew yourself. Take a vacation. Find a way to walk by still waters in order to restore your soul. And then number seven, live in the light of eternity. Remember, remember that you are an eternal being. Vince Lombardi once said, fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. And you know, in the last few months, we can all echo those thoughts. But think about Jesus. Facing some of the toughest times of his earthly life, setting his face on eternity. Think about Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Because of the joy, you can endure the impossible because of your faith in the invisible. You can navigate the present because of your faith in the future. That's what faith is, future things and invisible things. It's a focus on Jesus. None of us have been torn apart by wild animals, praise the Lord. None of us have been set on fire as human torches, thank you, Jesus. None of us have endured that kind of pain in our lives, but all of us endure pain. Yes, there's a pain in being a Christian some of it's just the regular pain that everybody faces, but some of it is directly related to your faith. But it's a better pain. It's a better pain because it reminds you of the cross. It reminds you of Jesus and his great love for you. It's a better pain because it reminds you of God the Father's love for you. The fact that he is disciplining you and making you better and stronger. It's a better pain because it's equipping you to help others in their pain, to encourage other people. And so, like Jesus... Endure the pain by looking beyond it to the indescribable joy that's coming for us. Take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand up firm on those shaky legs. You've got this. He's got you. So you've got this. Amen. with a, a prayer of benediction. Let's close our service. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you that you went through this incredible pain. Uh, you endured such suffering so that we could fix our eyes 
on you. Like you had this joy set before you and you endured all of that because of the joy that was right in front of you. You knew what you were fighting for and now it's made clear to us what we're fighting for. In our lives, Lord, we may never have to die for our faith. We may never have to make that decision. But the decision we do make is whether we'll live for our faith. So, Lord Jesus, call this church to live. Lord, reach out to the people in this family through your Holy Spirit and call them to live for their faith. But if we lose sight of what we're fighting for, we'll, we'll lose our focus on why we do this in the first place. Lord, you went through this hostility and this pain so that we would not grow weary. Fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes on you. Bring us to life. Help us to pick up our cross every day, to live a life, Lord, of sacrificial love, to love you and to love other people the way your Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Love you and love other people. And to remember that everything else is noise. So Lord, this week in my own life and in the life of our church, quiet the noise that distracts us. Quiet the noise. And help us to live for you, the perfecter. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Give us faith to endure right to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.